Well, what a time we are living through. The sun may be shining in Oxford, but there's unrest on the streets of South Africa. In India, people are hungry following the uh, effects of the virus on the food production. On continental Europe, there may yet be a catastrophic death toll in relation to the recent flooding. And tomorrow, here in the UK, uh, it's called Freedom Day, but many of us are uncertain as to what that freedom could or should look like, given the ongoing cases uh, of coronavirus. And indeed, almost everywhere we turn, we're beginning to realize that we just don't know the depth and impact of this pandemic, whether that's relationships being strained to breaking point or uncertainty about long COVID and the effects of the virus uh, and indeed its impact in all sorts of ways on children and the vulnerable. I could go on. I don't mean to depress you, but I do want to ask, how do you go about relating all of this difficult reality to the Christian faith? Where is God? in all of this? It seems to me that that is a really important question to ask. Whether you were just beginning to explore the Christian faith, or indeed if you've been round the block a few times in your Christian life. And I want to begin today by remembering a short little phrase that Jesus spoke to his disciples. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. They were words he said, of course, as he prepared to go to the cross and die that agonizing death. And they are words that remind us that the Christian faith doesn't bring with it any guarantee of winning uh, in a worldly sense. Instead, we are invited to play our part in this kingdom that is not of this world. And actually, I think that's an exhilarating, amazing prospect, because then the whole point is that even in the midst of pain and suffering and death, of all sorts of things that we would never wish on ourselves or on others, even in the midst of that, this kingdom cannot be extinguished. And one life at a time, it continues to grow as people choose to put their trust in God so today I want to draw out three particular encouragements from this passage that we've heard. Encouragements for living this kingdom life that Jesus calls us to. And if this talk had a title, it would be this. Pray, forgive, receive. Pray, forgive, receive. And my encouragement to you is to keep on praying, keep on forgiving, and keep on receiving. Well, this passage from Luke's Gospel comes at a heady time in the narrative. We've just seen the 72 sent out uh, on mission. They are on the move, and the good news is spreading out. Meanwhile, Jesus has taught the parable of the Good Samaritan with that kind of signature teaching that your neighbor is not just someone like you, or not just someone you like, or not just someone with whom you share particular convictions. Your neighbor is anyone in need, and by the way, it's the religious people that too often walk by uh, on the other side. And then hot on the heels of that is this 
beautiful little incident with Mary and Martha and Jesus where we are reminded that there is nothing better to do than extravagantly, even seemingly wastefully, spend time in the presence of Jesus. And so then this chapter begins with Jesus praying. And it's worth us reminding ourselves just how often within those gospel narrative, Jesus steps aside from the kind of present drama and says, no, 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 I'm going to pray. And that's not a bad model for the rest of us. He takes time to pray, even in the midst of a busy, chaotic life. And I encourage you to do the same. If you, in all honesty, would say, well, I'm not sure how to pray, why not ask someone who does? But of course, no one can force you to pray. But if you are interested in walking this way of the kingdom, this kingdom that is not of this world, then to pray is an absolutely foundational part of this journey. And today, I particularly want to commend to us the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus himself teaches us. Indeed, my personal recommendation would be, don't let a day go by without praying this prayer. Because I know all too well that there have been many people for whom these last few months, there have been times when you've just not known what to pray. You just haven't had the words. And at moments like that, the Lord's Prayer is a particularly special gift to us because with brevity and simplicity, it takes us to some of the treasures at the very heart of the Christian faith. Simon preached amazingly on the fatherhood of God and this unique relationship that we enter into as we learn to call God our Father. Uh, and that, of course, is where the prayer begins but it also affirms his holiness. My very first sermon at St. Aldate's, I preached from Hebrews uh, with that phrase, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And this call to holiness, personal sacrifice and holiness is absolutely central to the Christian call and it's there at the heart of the Lord's Prayer. This articulation of the way of the kingdom that is not of this world and what it is for us to pray, your kingdom come. Not my best ideas, God, but your kingdom come. And then being brought face to face with the reality of sin, of the things that have been done to us and the things that we've done that we regret, which don't speak of the goodness and beauty of the kingdom. And notice that in the prayer, we receive that forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, we pray. And then there's the first thing that we are called to do within that prayer. Previously, we've been saying certain things about God or praying certain things to God. And then we've talked about forgive us our sins. But then comes this moment where we are called to do something forgive everyone who sins against us. That's our job, and how remarkable that is. And of course, most religious traditions around the world still continue to value 
retribution in some form. Jesus himself, of course, cites the Jewish law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and then amazingly replaces it with turn the other cheek and the call to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I wonder whether those can sometimes be the kinds of things that trip off the tongue in church on a Sunday, but are extremely difficult to actually then put into practice, even with a phone call this afternoon, let alone during whatever your Monday to Friday looks like. But when you see forgiveness at work, you see something that the world out there doesn't really do, but which absolutely speaks of the glory and the wonder of the kingdom of God. Perhaps you heard recently on the news about Mina Smallman, the woman in London whose two daughters were killed having a picnic in a park. She was speaking at the conclusion of their killer's trial, and she was asked whether she could forgive the perpetrator. And she said this, I already have. I've surprised myself, actually, she said. When we hold hatred for someone, it's not only them who are held captive, it's you, because your thoughts become consumed by revenge. I refuse to give him that power. Well, I think those were remarkable words. She refused to give him that power. Instead, of course, the power of forgiveness is bound up with the power of giving these situations to the cross of Christ as the place where the power of sin and death is decisively broken. And then forgiveness is one of the distinctive, beautiful examples of the fruit that offers new hope and new life. And if I can be honest, I think for me, one of the most disappointing things in pastoral ministry is when you meet a Christian who knows the Lord and yet is still, frankly, kind of consumed and bound up by unforgiveness. Or there is a kind of sin that is still weighing so heavily that they can't see the path to freedom. And the Lord's Prayer reminds us how it is that we can present ourselves before God and find the courage to name those sins and seek forgiveness and then also take that forgiveness to others. And after he's taught that, Jesus then moves on to tell the parable of what's sometimes referred to as the shameless neighbor. We hear, don't bother me, the door is already locked, my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. But then verse eight, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In other Bible translations, there's a reference to persistence or even impudence. And this is all about Jesus commending our persistence in prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Not just the person along the row, not just the person in the next room if you're watching this on YouTube, but to you. Our Father in heaven 
doesn't kind of roll his eyes and kind of say, oh, not you again. He doesn't kind of sigh as he reluctantly gets up out of his chair to help us. Or even the kind of curse of modern life. You know, he's not kind of swiping, swiping through his phone absent-mindedly and kind of occasionally looking up in your direction. He is being, as it were, fully present to you and saying, this is the kind of promise I make to you, to hear you, to forgive you, to set you free, and to encourage you to do the same for others. And if you ask, he promises to respond. But in his kingdom, which is not of this world, he doesn't guarantee us, for example, health or wealth, though he may bless us with those things, sometimes miraculously. But what does he promise here? What does Jesus promise at the kind of summit of this passage? He promises us the Holy Spirit. So remember my three encouragements to us today. First, to pray, and particularly to pray the Lord's Prayer daily if possible. Second, to forgive, to face the reality uh, of our sin and indeed the weight of sin which holds us or binds us if it's been sin that has been done to us or sinful words spoken over us, to find the freedom that comes from Christ alone in the work of forgiveness. But of course, those two things, to choose to pray, to choose to forgive, those are both active choices as a result of our own free will. There is a certain decision that we make in doing that. And uh, in my experience, Oxford is a city full of kind of activist people who love to have a tick box of exercises to know if I do this and do this and do this, I'll get to this destination. If I only work harder, sleep longer, eat better, you know, I will succeed. And Jesus says, well, I see all that, but my kingdom is not of this world those worldly priorities are not the same uh, as mine. So if you want to pray to God, your kingdom come, this won't just be about tidying your sock drawer or kind of secular self-improvement. It will be about seeing the uniqueness of the kingdom breaking in. And so yes, there are things that we can choose to do including to pray and to forgive. But we also need to make space and time for the things that only God can do as we receive from his Holy Spirit. And that means surrendering the to-do list, as it were, and simply saying, God, here I am. It's why we sometimes make this kind of gesture as we pray to receive, because it's a tangible way of expressing this reality. So these three encouragements do represent different kinds of action. We choose to pray and sometimes with shameless audacity we should be bringing things before God in intercession. When we forgive others, it may well be that we can only do this because we've been prompted by God to find the courage to do so. And sometimes, of course, we also need to forgive ourselves and for some people, that can be the very hardest part 
of entering into this beautiful kingdom work of forgiveness. But receiving the Spirit is rather different. Yes, we have to ask, but then sometimes we simply have to wait to be responsive, to be open in every fiber of our being to the stuff that only God can do. And of course, to welcome the Holy Spirit into your life, therefore, is a risky thing because you can't tell where it's going to lead or where it might end up. If you really say to God, God, I want you to use me for your kingdom purposes and I'm willing to surrender to your will, that of course can prompt dramatic change in your life. For many years, I was a committed Christian who was somewhat skeptical about people who claimed to hear from the Lord or have particular kind of pictorial visions uh, at key moments. Um, I don't know why I was so skeptical, because, of course, the Bible is full of this happening, as are the uh, histories of Christian lives lived throughout the centuries. But God, of course, is gracious and also has a sense of humor. So the first time in prayer that I had undeniably absolute with total clarity. A picture was uh, the time in prayer that I felt called to leave my life as a journalist and uh, go and get ordained. So in, in a sense, I'm saying to you, you know, these things can be dangerous if we actually open ourselves up to hear from God. We might find a certain kind of change uh, of direction. There might be certain kinds of things that it is absolutely time to put down so that you can pick up things that are a bit more kingdom-shaped. In, uh, in the prayer meeting beforehand, there was a, a picture of someone as if they were you know, kind of laid down with loads and loads of suitcases. You know, and you come here this afternoon kind of feeling, yeah, that's me. And if only I could find the courage to let go of them and instead pick up the things which are kingdom-shaped. Well, since over the years I have grown, I suppose, in confidence that God can speak uh, in this kind of way and even speak to me in this kind of way. And uh, we had a glorious evening with some of the postgrads on Wednesday evening, and um, we were about to read from John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well and promises her not just water to drink, but living water. And as we were worshipping, uh, I really had a strong picture in my mind's eye uh, of a dripping tap. And I felt it was uh, a picture for people there who were Christians, who knew what this living water was. But frankly, they felt as though it was as if they, you know, they were having to sort of cup their hands and uh, hold their hands out in front of a dipping, dripping tap and wait for ages and ages, even just to have enough to be able to drink. And that may be a picture even of your Christian life at the moment, but that is not a picture of who God is or who he wants to be in your life because we believe in a God who wants to drench us with his love and see that living water flow. And one of the postgrads asked, so, you know, what what stops this happening? I mean, if I want to experience more of God, if I want to know this freedom What's getting in the way? And I said, well, very simply, sin. 
And, you know, that was slightly awkward. There was a bit of nervous laughter because, you know, we don't always like to talk about the reality and presence of sin, do we? But look what Jesus does through the course uh, of this passage. He takes us through this facing uh, of sin, this coming to terms with sin, this extravagant forgiveness given and received, and then that being the place from which you can encounter this fullness of life in the Spirit. And this also reminded me of a particularly vivid picture I had uh, at the beginning of a church weekend away. Remember when we had those? I think it was in 2019. And uh, uh, again, in worship, I think often worship can be a time when things are unlocked for us uh, in the spirit. And as we worshiped, I saw this very vivid picture of a group of children in brightly colored uh, rain clothing, uh, really enjoying splashing around in puddles. And uh, God the Father was there, just smiling and delighting uh, in the fact that his children were having fun. And I think this is a picture of how God sees us, and he, you know, he delights in us playing uh, in his kingdom. But then he beckoned to these children, and he said to them, have you not noticed, over there there's a river There's a river, and in that river you can swim and dive and find a kind of scale of freedom which is just epic in comparison to the joy of just splashing around in some puddles. The kingdom of God grows one life at a time. And the miraculous and wonderful thing is that no plague or pestilence or suffering or famine or persecution can stop its advance. That's the history of the Christian faith for the last 2,000 years on every continent. It's a remarkable thing. And if we call ourselves Christians, we are called into the life and work of that kingdom as ambassadors for Christ. And so I really urge you to seek to live in the fullness of that calling. Pray, forgive, receive. If over these long months of lockdown and the pandemic, your prayer life has dried up, or indeed even if it's in a pretty good place, Don't neglect the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. And as you're praying it, find the courage to name and confess the sin that is present in your life, whether that's the sin of the things that you have said or done to others, or the sin that still affects you because of the way that it was spoken or done to you. And then recognize that both of those moments in the journey have something to do with your own effort, with your own commitment and your own choices. But please then also make time for the Holy Spirit to do that work of healing and prompting and leading and guiding and inspiration that only the Holy Spirit can do and which go way beyond any earthly expectation. If everything we do in the Christian life can be done in our own strength, we are really missing something.
But if we pray and forgive and receive the Holy Spirit, we will truly be playing our part in building the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. Would you like to stand? And uh, in a moment, we're going to worship. But perhaps you might just like to take a moment to think about how these questions resonate in your own life. Are there situations where, to be honest, you still struggle to forgive someone? And of course, forgiveness is not about diminishing the significance of what happened, but it is about surrendering that issue to the cross of Christ and saying, this is for you now, Lord, because I am going to choose to live in the freedom that you promise me. And if there's something specific for you, we'd love to pray with you in confidence uh, afterwards. Or perhaps it's the dripping tap that resonates. Perhaps you feel as though uh, you don't just hold out your hands to receive the bread, but you're kind of gasping for just more than uh, a drip of living water. And he really does promise you a deluge. So shall we uh, worship together and then pray in response and see what it is that only the Holy Spirit can do.